Business School. All right, folks, welcome to the latest episode of the Business School podcast, where we discuss new and emerging trends and the kind of stuff that you may not read in a business textbook. And I think we're definitely going to hit on that kind of topic today. Very happy and humble to be joined by Jeff Saperstein, uh, who I've had the privilege of knowing for some time, but has, has had the opportunity to work in many different spaces. And Jeff, I can just turn it over to you and ask you to introduce yourself. Thank you, Daryl. It's it's a pleasure to be with you. So one one thing is I've I've had a fifty year career five zero, which kind of makes one look back and realize that there were so many stress points in which there was high anxiety, and you wonder what was that all about, right? So some of what we go through are predictable, and some things we hit adversity, and we're not quite sure what the path is. So I've had a corporate background. I was in the advertising business working on package goods in New York, and then I went to work at uh, Footcomb Building on Levi Strauss business. I was on that business for about five years. So I had a, a really good sense for uh, corporate work, corporate organization back in the 70s and 80s spun off to work in the nonprofit world uh, as a marketing director and then became a marketing consultant. So I moved into from advertising to marketing and in that role really developed feasibility studies and looked at my talents and skills and and ways of working that I had accumulated in the ad business for me. And over time went to teaching in universities and was an adjunct faculty person in different universities, including in Europe primarily at San Francisco State University in the College of Business. And I became a professional writer and later in my career became a career coach and memoirist. So when you look at this trajectory of going from the corporate hierarchy to spinning off into nonprofit to then working on multiple levels, having a level career of teaching, writing, et cetera, one thing that I learned is It's better to think of oneself as a collection of skill sets and experiences that you can utilize rather than a particular title of, oh, I'm an ad guy, I'm a marketing guy, I'm a production guy or whatever, or gal. And so I'd like to start with the fact that now I am utilizing my writing skills, my coaching skills, my business skills, all in the service of career coaching for people who are interested in making career transitions as well as people have been successful who want to look back on their life, figure out who they are, why they are, and to connect the dots. So that's a good place for me to be right now. Yeah, you've definitely been in a lot of different places. And I love that idea that you said around this, you know, that sometimes we tend to think about jobs and we define ourselves in those respects, but that aspect of skills, and I know that's something we'll come back to uh, later in this piece as we go through this. To touch on something that you wrote about recently, and I'll say it really touched me. There was an article that you wrote about the idea of things like guilt and and how you know and and guilt and how that fits in with. Um, it, and this is writing from a business perspective. Touched me for a couple of different reasons. One is that it felt like it was a subject that rarely gets talked about. It, you know, there's a lot of things in business that we hear about a lot of on the psychology of business. But it feels that guilt is one of those areas that we don't typically get into. I could say for myself as well, I was brought up in a culture that was heavily Catholic. And I'm from diaspora as well, which sometimes then had a kind of added weight of the religious aspect of it, is that if you kind of 
part of the identity is to say that, hey, you know, you're growing up in this culture, which might be different to the one that your parents recognize, their way of dealing with that difference largely would be by saying, okay, well, what we can hold on to is this strong Catholic faith, you know, and that's what I was brought up with. And I, and I guess as I've gone through my career, you know, I think there are things that are positive about that, but I also wonder some of the aspects that that might bring to me in terms of, you know, maybe it's overused this term of Catholic guilt, but in terms of, you know, what, and, but and also, it, you know, that, that term in some ways is a very broad term, but what does that actually mean for me? How does that actually translate to myself? And would you be able to write just a little bit of background yourself and what, you know, what was the motivation for writing that particular piece? Thank you. Well, in working with individuals, as well as working with colleagues over the years and being in teams, I've noticed that we all come with certain vulnerabilities. And when I use the word guilt, I don't mean guilt for an action, murder, theft, you know, that, you know, Daryl's stealing cars and therefore you should be guilty. We're really talking about what used to be called baggage, right? So we come with a certain set of vulnerabilities. And what it translates to is a feeling of low self-worth. Now, low self-worth can translate into being in constant conflict with other people because you feel like it's a win-lose and that's the culture that you came from. It's the background you came from. You enter the world of work with this predisposition of kind of winning and losing. And there are certain professions or certain companies where that is a considered to be an attribute, right? And then some people come with a feeling of being a victim, like, oh, I'm, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not the right ethnicity. I'm not the right gender. I'm not the right age, whatever. And we, we limit, our, we self-limit ourselves or we interpret things with a certain filter. And so we can vic become victims of our own predilections, right? Not that others are victimizing us, although that sometimes happens. But we come to the table with these attitudes. And if we can examine them, and if we can look at, okay, I have certain experiences and I have certain upbringings, certain ways of dealing with things that work for me when I was young, but do they still work for me now? And, and how can I improve my own understanding of my intuition? And that's an important word because sometimes intuition when it's a pattern that is a negative pattern can be the worst thing is to follow your intuition. Sometimes it's being able to step back and say, okay, I, I understand I have this insecurity. I understand I have this feeling and we'll use the word guilt in the, in the broadest sense, a guilt of, of that I'm not deserving of something. Or people have done things that I'm interpreting them in such a way that I feel attacked, disregarded. And a lot of people go through this, Daryl, and feel, well, my boss doesn't understand me. The company doesn't appreciate me. There's a lot of things that happen in the workplace that it's more like, uh, I, I use the analogy of the goalie in a, what you would call football and I would call soccer, right? That, that it, you have to be able to pivot. You have to be able to understand the situation that you're in, the role that you're playing, the people you're working with, the functions, what is the trajectory of the company or the, where you stand in the organization? There are many factors that are external that you need to be aware of and then play in the field that you're in rather than presume that you're in a very regulated kind of university school-like. I, I 
taught case studies for many, many years, by the way. And I've written five case studies. What, a couple of them are very well distributed on Toyota and Agilent, et cetera. I looked at ways that different technologies were changing industries. And one of the things that you noticed in a case study is it's kind of like uh, there's the hero story. And if you're only smart enough to know what the principle is, you'll solve the problem doing the case study and the ideas come up with the strategy that works. And so you get rewarded in a case study for coming up with a rational solution. And you know, and I know that the world doesn't necessarily work in a case study mode, right? And so if you're in business school, you are, or you're in school, you're learning certain ideas of, I I have a transcript, I have grades, I have a goal. I know if I do my assignments, I get them in on time. There's a certain work and reward aspect to school that doesn't really prepare people for the world of work. And and this onboarding is becoming more and more difficult and a big issue. So to answer your question, it's really that we we come with certain attitudes, limiting beliefs about ourselves and others that we need to address in order to have a rewarding life and a success in business. Well, it's really interesting. To take it back, um, keeping it personal for a sec, I think through how, for instance, you know, maybe a Catholic, like it's, you know, that through certain religions, you get this idea as well of this idea of perfection and what this perfection state is. And you can always see the fact that when you don't match up to that, like you're saying, it may be, you know, it can give you some of these feelings of potentially can hit things like how you, you value yourself and your own self-worth. You know, in terms of developing that and breaking out of that, and I know, you, you know, the, one of the terms that you used that really resonated with me um, was this idea of mindset and a fixed mindset and breaking through that. What, could you talk a little bit about what that is you know, and, and what are some of the strategies and steps people can take to then really try, you know, address that and, and how can you use that in a way that, like you say, it feels like it's getting towards these steps of self-awareness, but how does that work in terms of, you know, what is the process that you go through that can to turn this into something that can actually be either positive or make it something that at least is not negative? When we talk about vision lock or mindset, we usually mean that we're, people come in with a certain predilection of how the world should work. Some people call it myopia, right? If you're a marketing guy, every, every solution is a marketing solution. If you're a salesperson, every solution is a sales solution. If you're somebody that's an engineering, there's always an engineering fix. So if you come to a meeting or you come to a problem or you come to into a company thinking your area is the area and that others should be serving your area, well, that's a mindset that doesn't uh, lend itself to really good collaboration. And if collaboration now is kind of the key for success and global collaboration of working with people who are not like you, so move from just your function to the fact that you have uh, a certain ethnicity or you've grown up in a certain culture, that culture has embedded certain values and ways of being that if you continue to just focus on people who are like you, then you will have a mindset that will keep you restricted. Uh, You're familiar, Daryl, with the T-shaped idea in which the top of the T is your Ability to work across, you've worked in regions, you've worked in different industries, you've worked in different disciplines, you've worked with different kinds of people. To the degree that you have that agility and that ability to have perspective, and then the I or the the base is your expertise. You have to have some expertise that the market will 
recognize, then you're looking at building a career in which you can consciously say, so if I'm doing the same thing for 20 years and I'm doing it the same way, or I've been in the same company, today that's not looked upon as a virtue and recognize that we're looking at a set of skills, set of experiences, set of ways of working with people that help you to get out of this fixed mindset. And I think the younger generation has less of a fixed mindset in certain ways than we did, certainly in terms of their feeling of accepting people more liberally in terms of not uh, having as much prejudice, but they may feel more entitled and they may be more impatient coming into the work world. And so they have to look at their own mindsets of what is their expectation. And when we have very high expectations of what it's supposed to be, we inevitably get resentment and disappointment. So expectations lead equal resentment, disappointment. And if we examine our expectations and recognize that in different roles, different stages of our career, different places in the power structure, we act differently and we're responding to differently. I love the way that you tie this to skills. And just to be clear, like, you know, this idea of the T-shaped skills, like you say, where you've got the, you know, there, there's, there could be multiple things at which you go kind of shallow, if you like, or you just go high level. And then you've got, you know, let's say for, like you say, you know, somebody could be, let's say they happen to be in the marketing profession. So they, you know, they've got deep, say, digital marketing skills and they can work well in that trade. Interesting, this idea that you say, and, and just to, to make sure I got this right, would you suggest that then, for instance, that idea to be collaborative and even to have this idea of getting around your fixed mindset in some ways becomes part of the top of that T of your skills. That could be somewhere in terms of your ability to have almost like an, a level of kind of an emotional intelligent kind of skill that can help you understand maybe what could be your own limitations and what that might mean in terms of what you might bring to even to say walking into a meeting with people of different cultures. Yes. And emotional intelligence is a good handle on developing perspective, developing wisdom, developing judgment, understanding that in a room, there are decision makers, that there are people who are going to be important, particularly if you have a client facing relationship. Uh, let me give you a really good example. When I was in the ad business, the market, the research people or the media people wanted to show the client how much work they did in coming up with the recommendation. So they would have a, in, their, in their deck, we used to use acetates, right? And, or their PowerPoints, they would, they would start to get into the methodologies and, they would, and you could imagine that the client's eyes start to glaze over. They are not really interested in all the work that you put in, in all the reach and frequency analysis that you did. They want to know the recommendation and why it benefits them. And so as the account person, you always had to kind of rein these people in or at least modify what they were doing so that their interest in showing how much work went into it and how smart they are is softened by what the client really wants to hear. And so you get this sense of what it is that is important over time that is not clear when you're immediately starting out. And so that's one example. That's a real example of this idea of emotional intelligence, the idea of what what, what is the real objective and what's the dynamic among people? And people who become managers and leaders have an extraordinary sense of the human dynamic that the functionary does not have. 
So in terms of, let's say you have got to this point where you realize I might have a fixed mindset in this particular area, or I've got, it sounds like this level of self-awareness is an early stage in this. Are there specific strategies that you'd recommend then in terms of like, if you want to get to that point of being a great leader, where you've got, you, you know, the, the self-realizations there, but then how do you, you know, there's certain tools or tips or ways in which you can then start to think about, okay, I, I acknowledge some of these aspects of myself that I need to work out. How do you, how do you move forward and how, how do you grow from that? Well, one of the things is to know enough about yourself. And this is very hard when you're just coming out of school. Where do you really fit? Every organization has a culture. Every organization has an unwritten set of rules. Certain people get promoted or certain people who may not even be as smart or as capable get promoted and we wonder why. They are people who have champions who are helping them along the way and this is invisible. There's a wonderful TED talk by, I believe her name is Carla Harris, who talks about the need to find champions for one's career, which is different than a mentor. Mentor you're learning from their experience. Uh, champion is watching out for you within the organization. So there's certain, even as a teacher, there are certain universities that I feel much more comfortable teaching in than others, even if I'm teaching the same material, because there's an organizational culture in the nonprofit sector, in the government sector, in the corporate sector, in the startup sector. So understanding yourself and how you work best with people, whether you like structure or not, whether you like to be an innovator, whether you really enjoy solving problems, there are a whole set of criteria. By the way, in, we have an ebook, The Interconnected Individual Seizing Opportunity in the Era of AI Platforms, Apps, and Global Exchanges is the book that we wrote to really help people understand that their interconnectivity using these technologies enable them to chart their own career based on their own proclivities, their own ways of working. And we no longer have to completely contort ourselves in order to fit into work, or we shouldn't. So as we're looking at strategies, I think knowing where you fit Understanding how you add value, meaning your your expertise and your ability to collaborate, your ability to be a team member that others want to have with you, and your ability to have skill sets that you're working on and upskilling so that you're learning systems or you're learning certain management principles that enable you to apply methodologies to situations and not just wing it. And then just touching on this idea of culture, you have an interesting perspective around the idea in terms of both that there can be a, a an organizational culture for the, for like a company that you might work for, but then that also may relate down into individual teams, which could be very different. Could we be able to just expand a little bit on that that thought and what that might mean? Sure, there are really good diagnostic surveys now that are very inexpensive. Knack app is one that I like that you play some games and it shows you your proclivities and how it matches certain career paths. But importantly, it gives you some language of how to talk about yourself in terms of those things that you are ranked very high among people in that profession and that they have a huge database so they can compare you to many, many others who are in that profession. It kind of gives you an idea of where you would be most comfortable. Clifton Strength Finders is another very good application. It used to be Gallup. Now it's called Clifton in which there are 34 different ways of describing yourself in the top five. They give you 
it could be that you're more strategic. It could be more that you like more diagnostics and data. I mean, it, it really gets into what are those ways of working that you have a great affinity for and then gives you, again, language to talk about yourself and to look at where you would fit. So these kinds of tools are a first step. And then there are organizations like Glassdoor and others that evaluate companies, organizations. And so most people will feel purpose and meaning. That's fascinating in terms of the relationship that, like you say, in terms of career growth and how we might think and plan our own career. What tips would you have around career expectations and, and how you address those, especially for those that might be you know, younger in their career? It's a great question, of course, because the, mar- the workplace is changing so rapidly with not only AI, but just the the fact that large organizations are no longer providing the security. I'm talking about in the, in the corporate sector, and certainly startups do not provide security, that recognize that there's going to be instability and adversity and setbacks that become normal as part of a career. And people aspire to be managers or they aspire to be the one who is in the C-suite. And they may not recognize that When you are in that manager role and there's insecurity and you have to lay off people or you have to cut a division or you have to close down the operations in a whole country, you may be here for three months or three years. We can't determine exactly how long you're going to be here. But while you're here, help us understand how you want to grow and we will help you understand how you provide value to us because they're hiring you not to develop you. They're hiring you for you to solve problems as an employee or as a team member. And so you want to be a solutions provider. You want to be somebody that is easy to work with. You want to be somebody that's likable. And you want to be somebody that has the ability to pivot and be flexible in your thinking and the way you work and to be able to take what you might perceive as rejection or setback and say, this is part of the game. And you're in a game. And that doesn't mean it's fun. It means that sometimes the rules are not as apparent. So I think that that over time, one gains this kind of perspective. And let me, let me point to something since you asked me to talk about something personally. I always liked ideas and people. And advertising was a good place to work with ideas and people. But through that work, I didn't realize that what I really liked was having credibility based on my own way of serving clients or my integrity. Integrity is not something you major in, in in university, but it is something that you understand and you build. So my ability to see how working with clients was what really gave me joy in work, not the actual ads themselves enabled me to look at being in client management and then being a consultant much more easily because I could see what it was that I really thrived with. Now, what took me a very long time to figure out is the thread in all of my work. And I created many of my positions. Like I became, I did feasibility studies and I wrote books based on interviewing people. All of my books are based on interviewing others, right? is that conversation was the thread in my entire life and I never knew it. What would be like one piece of advice that you would give in terms of to somebody that 
that, that is thinking about, you know, what you said, what we might call baggage, what we might think of in terms of when you're walking into, you know, a business as a culture as much as anything else. You know, we've touched on other areas around skills. What, what piece of advice would you have? Well, let me take a number of pieces of advice. One is look at the people who have been in that company or that field for 10, 20 years. And do you emulate them? Do you want to be like them? Or do you resonate with them? Or do they just burn out? You know, there are some fields where, you know, people have a heart attack at age 45. This was typical in the advertising business in New York. People died at age 45 because they worked themselves to death. And that was kind of, the sooner you got your heart attack, the more successful you were perceived, right? Because you had given your all. And there's a certain, uh, <laughs> and when you step back and you say, well, that's nuts. But then the expectation was you'd stay till very late hours and you would give up your personal life. So I think part of one answer is, do you have an affinity with the people who've been in the field for a long time and why? Right. Not because you've made money. Money, by the way, is a not necessarily the best indicator of your fit in a particular profession. Two, it's, it's really interesting, Daryl, that you find that there are certain things about your job that you enjoy and certain things you don't. And if you could start to recognize what are those elements that give me reward or joy at work. And it's not that you're working less, it's that you're working more, but you're being either more efficient, more productive, more valued. What are, And to understand that and help you to see that you want to put yourself in those situations. I think doing one's homework about an organization and a company. Many of us walk in thinking that we understood what we were getting into and it becomes clear after three to six months that you were sold a bill of goods, that they either intentionally misled you or hid things from you and then you discover. And that happens very frequently. So have your eyes very wide open and talk to a lot of people and be choosy. Don't just take a job. Don't just settle. Being a fast learner, being able to see where you fit in, in multiple dimensions, being very careful about not just listening to what you want to believe, because there's a lot of that out there, and recognizing that you're building over time. Even bad situations have their positives and that you learn what you don't want or you learn the kind of people you don't want to work with. Those are some very practical advice. And I think you know, I'm an avid reader. I, I like to read other people who have something to say. And so sometimes you get an insight by reading somebody like Adam Grant or reading somebody like Malcolm Gladwell or reading somebody who is not specifically a functionary in your field, but helps broaden your thinking. Thank you. Yeah, not one, but multiple there. And each of those is, is um, valuable and can be dissected on its own, I think. So all right, Jeff. Well, it uh, leaves me to say, unfortunately, this is our time's come to an end here. But thank you. I really appreciate you taking the time to to share, you know, from you know, both in terms of as now your career, as you say, as a coach, among other things, a career coach, but also in terms of, and just, you know, the path that's led you to this point has got, you know, got such a wealth of experience. So I really appreciate you sharing that. And showing this other side of business, which we quite often we, we might overlook, um, but but uh, that can be to our detriment. So 
I thank you. I thank our listeners. Uh, this has been the Business School Podcast. Stay tuned. There'll be future episodes coming up. Uh, if you're interested in especially what's going on in terms of you know this rapidly emerging side of business, the bit that we don't have time to always uh, create textbooks for. But thank you for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Business School. Mm-hmm.